This is a pre-download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Psalm 62. I want to kind of almost talk about the song we just sang. Am I booming? Can you turn me down, guys, a little bit? Thank you. I'm loading up as already. Okay, Psalm 62, verse 1. Uh, I want to talk about so we just, what we just sung. We were thinking about the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Isn't that awesome? We kind of sing that and kind of talk about it, but we need to kind of get a hold of that truth. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. I kind of think if we kind of get a hold of that, it just changes so much about our lives. And we're just going to commence. So let's just read for, start from verse 11. Psalm 62, verse 11. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. Here's the phrase we need to get hold of. Power belongs to God. Isn't that awesome? Power belongs to God. I kind of think that the, the, the greatest need, really, of the church today is to come into the power that God's made available to us. The one thing that characterized the early church was the power of God. Is that true? They shook nations, they kind of shook communities. And you think about it, they didn't have all the kind of mod cons we have today. In fact, they did, at that point, they never even had a New Testament, if I can use that phrase. But they knew the power of the living God. And because they lived and exhibited the power of God, just incredible things happened. Here in this psalm, we're told the power belongs to God. All power belongs to God. Is that true? And what, what we're reminded of is that that power, all the power that belongs to God, actually, in a staggering, amazing way, has been made available to us. Isn't that awesome? And here to me lies the secret of discipleship. It's not us trying to do it in our power and our strength. The key to discipleship is to learn to live in the power that God has made available to us. I think it's verse 16 or something like 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That we are God's dwelling place. God inhabits and dwells within us. Isn't that a staggering thought? And so God says, I want to use your hands, your feet, your mouth to reveal me to a broken world. That's what it's about. That his power dwells in us so it might work through us to touch a hurting and broken world. And that power 
that's been made available to us. Isn't that awesome? That should just so stagger our minds. Let me show you just one verse that's like kind of... Let me just give you... I love this quote. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon made this quote many years ago. I love what he said. He says, It is an extraordinary power from God. It's not talent that wins the day, not mental power may gather a large congregation, but only spiritual power will save souls. What we need today is spiritual power. Okay, Ephesians 1, verse 19. Now, this is kind of one of my favorite kind of scriptures, if you like. This is a prayer that Paul prayed. So it's a prayer that Paul, that Paul prayed, actually. And I kind of found this uh, it's helpful to me. I like to pray this prayer every day for myself. Uh, pray over family, pray over church. And I think it's a great prayer to pray. And one of the phrases, because he's praying for the church, he's praying for the church, and he's praying for a phrase, I want to get hold of it. He's praying, first of all, that, that they have three revelations. He prays the first revelation they would have is they would know the hope of their calling. That we'd have a revelation to know what God has called us to do. Isn't that wonderful? To know that you have a calling. To know that God has a calling over your life. And you'll never know that calling unless God reveals it to you. Is that right? And so he's praying. So I'm praying that you'll have a revelation of the calling over your life. And many can live their whole life without ever really having a true revelation of what God has called them to do and the purpose for their lives. The second, the second prayer, if you like, the second revelation he prays they would get is they would know their inheritance. They would truly know all that is theirs in Christ. You know, it's almost, we've got this amazing inheritance, but you're never kind of coming to, the, coming to, to experience it until you get a revelation of it. And he so said, I'm just praying that you'll get a revelation of all the inheritance that's yours. And here is the third revelation that he's praying you get a hold of. And you find that in verse 19. This is the revelation he's, asking, he's praying that you would get a hold of. Ephesians 1 in verse 19. He says that you get a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power now, who is this power towards? Are you a believer? If you are, then it's towards us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Isn't that awesome? Now, you don't fully get a grasp of that until you realise one thing. That Paul uses different Greek words, if I use that way, to describe power. He describes power in different ways. I just want to get too complicated, but let me just give you some of the, the Greek words that describe different levels of power that God has made available to you. Is that right? Here's the first one, and we're going to look at this a bit further on. This particular word we're going to develop as we go on, but let me just give you as a starter. He says... The first word is dunamis, which in a sense means explosive power. But I'm going to develop that, and it means more than that as we go on. Here's a second one, exousia, which means authority. In other words, power has to be linked to authority. 
power is of no use unless you use that power and you use that power by knowing authority. Power and authority go together because what's the point of an authority if you haven't got the power to back up your authority? But what's the point of an authority without power? And you need power for the authority to be released. How many can see that? And so Paul said, I'm praying that the, that the power that you'd know, you'd know your authority. That, you, that we would know the authority that is ours in Christ. It's only when we know the authority that we're able to exercise the power that is ours. So it's the word exousia that means authority. The next word that he uses is the word pretos, which means, I like this one, which that's what we've already heard. It means manifested strength. That's great. So one of the, the powers that God wants to make available to us is manifested strength. In other words, it's strength that is manifested, that's revealed. And so what Paul says is all that power, exousia, explosive power, uh, manifested strength has been made available to you. And he says the same power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, the greatest demonstration of grace, power when God raised him from the dead, now is at work in you. And he's saying, I'm praying that you'd get a revelation of that, that you'd understand that, you'd grasp that. And you would live accordingly to the power that God has given to you. Can you say amen? Now I think it's 1, 2 Timothy, Paul says these words. He says, in the last days, people will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Now that word, interesting, the word form, let me give you a definition of the word form. It means a counterfeit or an inferior intimidation or copy. Remember my Cambodian watch? My Rolex Cambodian watch? I want to tell you, it's still going strong, Lydia, and it's still going strong. Still telling exactly the same time. But it's an imitation. <laughs> Sorry, it's just, I'd love to say it wasn't. It was an imitation of the real thing. I, I kind of deny that. But the truth is, it's an imitation of the real thing. And that's what Paul's take on. He says, in the last days, people won't have the power, which means they've got to imitate it because they haven't got the power to demonstrate it. And doesn't it often sort the church, so often today, that we can have an imitation of what should be the real thing? Because, because we have the form, but not the power. And without the power, Christianity actually becomes a form it becomes a counterfeit let me put it this way it becomes religious because without the power of God all we have is a form we have outward exteriors we have, we have something we mimic but we're trying to do it without the power and it doesn't work I mean you realise that and so Paul says in the last days people will have an imitation but they won't have the genuine power that God desires in fact they will deny that power it's interesting that the actual word also means that to, to, to have a mere appearance but no relevance to reality. You know, I like to think, I don't know about you, but I remember the day, and it was many years ago, in a, in a, it was actually in the Birmingham, the Hockey Pentecostal Church, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when I received the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit, there's one thing that always stays with me that, that impacted me more than anything else. It's how it was was the speaking of tongues, which was wonderful. But the highest thing to me 
was I discovered Jesus to be more real than I've ever known him before. He became real to me. And part of this power is this, that we begin to discover that Jesus is so real. It's absolute reality. I think sometimes we need to know that reality that's within us rather it has to be bigger than the reality that's outside of us. In other words, if my problem is bigger than the reality I have within me, then that problem will overwhelm me. But when I have a reality, a conscious awareness of the reality of Jesus, and I know how real he is, I know how powerful he is within me, then I've got strength to face the exteriors and the problems outside of me. And I love this fact that, that Jesus becomes so real. And that's what we need, is that right? A sense of the reality, a sense of the conscious that Jesus is so real. Because without his reality, we then are vulnerable to what is counterfeit, to what is false. I think I was sharing this on, on Wednesday at, the, at, the, at their house group. But do you know how they train people to know what is a counterfeit note? Or a counterfeit five pound note, for example. Do you know how they do that? They train people how to know a real five pound note. They don't even tell them a false one. They just get them to know exactly what a, what, what, what a true five pound note is. There's the point. If they know what is real, then they know what is not real. So if I know how real Jesus is, then I recognise what is counterfeit. Is that true? And people are so easily drawn into deception. It's this simple fact. It's they don't know how real Jesus is. If I know his reality, then I know... If I know what is of Jesus, then I know what is not of Jesus. Because often whole churches missed moves of God because they didn't recognise it as something that was genuine. Because they didn't really fully know Jesus. When the real thing came, they didn't recognise it. And so we don't want to move. We don't want to miss a move of God. Amen. We want to know what is genuine, what is true. Okay, Luke 24, oh no, yeah, Luke 24, verse 49. I suppose this is what I want us to really kind of focus this morning on. Luke Verse 49. Did I say verse 49? Okay, Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on You know, I so love the power of Jesus. I'll tell you why I love the power of Jesus. Because it restores the fallen, heals the brokenhearted, it lifts, it strengthens. I love the power of Jesus. And Jesus here says something very important. Because there is a, a twofold work of the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit that works within us, and there's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. When you get saved, when you get born again, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He comes where? Within you. Christ in you. The Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. So you have the Spirit that comes within you and the second work of the Spirit is the Spirit that comes a 
upon you. Now he comes to live in you to make you like Jesus. The Spirit comes upon you to endure you with power to produce the proof that Jesus is alive. It comes on you with power. Now, look at this. Because Jesus says that you will be clothed with power so that you are enabled to do mighty things. Now, that word there, upon you, is actually the word clothed. And it actually means to, to almost put something on like a glove. That's the point. It's this picture that God puts you on like a glove. Just puts you, fits you like a glove. Isn't that awesome? And he fits you like a glove so that you would be endured with his power. And he says you'll be immersed, baptized with power. I think every single believer needs to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show why in a moment. We receive the Spirit when we're born again. But I believe with all my heart there is a second experience which is termed as the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we all need it. I'm going to show you why we need it in a minute. To be all that God called us to be. That's why we're called a Pentecostal church because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe there's a baptism. We believe there's an immersion in the Holy Ghost that fills us and empowers us to fully achieve all that God has called us to do. And Jesus says, go and wait in Jerusalem. He says, in fact, he uses the word. He actually says, don't do anything until you've received power from on high. He says, because you're going to face struggles, you're going to face incredible persecution, you're going to face tribulations, and I'm going to give you a mission that's impossible. I want you to take this gospel to the whole world. And in your own power and your own strength, you'll never achieve it. That's why you need to go into Jerusalem and wait until you have been endured with power from on high to enable you to fulfill what I have called you to fulfill. This mission impossible. Isn't that awesome? And if you read the story, actually, they waited ten days before, they, before the Holy Ghost fell, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they never did anything for those ten days, although we're going to see they did a few things to prepare for that. It's interesting. Once that took place, Peter and John were walking through the gates of beautiful. Remember they came across that lame man? And they said, silver and gold have we none. But notice this, such as we have, we give unto you. You can't give someone something you haven't got. Is that right? So here's the point. They received the baptism of power, and because they received the baptism of power, they actually had something they could give to this man, which was stand up and be healed and be made whole. Because what they have, was able to give. And so Jesus says, don't do anything. Go in Jerusalem and wait until you've received the promise of my Father. Now, let's look at a few of these words. I think there's some... Let me ask you this question today. Why 
Do we need the power of God? Let me give you a few reasons why we need the power. I think the first thing we need is to formate Christian character. Grace is the undeserved gift of God's supernatural power that enables us to be that we could not be in our own strength. So God empowers you to form the character of Christ in you. Isn't that wonderful? Second reason we have power is so that we might have an effective prayer life. Paul says we can't pray in our own we don't pray according to our own power, but we need the Holy Spirit that enables us to pray according to the will of God. To pray in the Spirit. And I found that when I received the, the filling of the Spirit, it took me to a new dimension in my prayer life. I found my prayer life becoming more effective and more powerful. Because now I have the Spirit that enables me to pray. Amen? And so I think that power enables us to pray. Enables us to serve God. I think to serve God effectively, we need to be anointed with supernatural power. It's a power that gives us victory over sin. We can't overcome sin in our own strength. Sin was conquered on the cross, but we receive the power to live a clean, pure life because the power of sin is broken by the power of the risen Christ. Amen? I think it gives us power over Satan and over his demons. I think we need God's power to live a victorious Christian life. That's, what we, that's how we become victorious, by living according to his power. We need his power to become an effective witness for Christ. In other words, the power of God's Spirit enables us to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. To show his love, to show who he is by our lives. Isn't that powerful? But you'll never do it in your own power and strength. In fact, in Acts 1, 8, Jesus says that you shall be my witnesses. And that word witness actually means that you will produce the proof that Jesus is alive. In other words, the word witness means people who produce proof. If you have a witness, what is it? It's someone who produces proof of what took place. Is that true? And so Jesus says, you are a witness that you are going to produce the evidence that I am alive. Now, you'll never do that in your own ability. Is that right? So we need the power of God to enable us to be a true representative of the risen life of Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to say... I want you to think of this word. It says, go into Jerusalem and tarry. The word tarry. And that word tarry actually means, it doesn't mean not doing anything. You know what it means? I love this. It means to sit down like someone sitting on a throne. That's what it means. It means to sit down on a throne. To sit down like somebody would sit down on a throne. That's what the word tarry means. In other words, Ephesians 2 verse 6 says that we have been where seated with Christ Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. That talks about that we have been given authority. This sense that, the, that we've been seated, that we've been given authority to seat with Christ. You know what he's saying? Tarry, wait until you understand and learn the authority that you have been given. I think there's this one thing. 
The reason why we don't see the power that God desires us to see is often we don't use that authority. Jesus says, speak to mountains. Those things that oppose the will of God, instead of just being a doormat for them, speak to them. Address the issues. Address the barriers. Address the walls. Address those things that oppose the will of God in your life. Begin to speak to them. Begin to address them. Because you have been given authority. And I think sometimes we just feel that we're a doormat to circumstances. We're a doormat to to the enemy. We're a doormat to overwhelming things. Instead of realizing, actually, I've got authority. I am no longer going to kind of allow that anymore in my life. I'm going to speak to it. In other words, we take the word of God... And we give, and we declare that word over something that is contrary to God's will and purpose for our lives. How do we do it? By learning our authority. And when you realise the authority you have, you begin to see a release of the power you have. So I tell you something shocking, actually. This kind of blows your mind, and our religious minds get upset by this. But you know what? Something interesting: that Jesus never really prayed for the sick. You know what he did? He healed the sick and every time he healed the sick the thing I noticed, he didn't give long prayers, have you noticed that? what did he do? he gave commands they said this man has authority, we've never seen anyone have this kind of authority that he speaks to sicknesses and they go he commands demons and they leave he's a man of authority and they recognised above all else was his authority that he had and as he exercised his authority, he released the power. The next thing to be seated, I love this, because you know, when you think about it, when you're sitting down, and read that, you know, you're putting your feet up, you kind of, there's that place you're, you're resting. And when Jesus says tarry, he says, in other words, sit down and rest in what I have done for your life. Begin to rest in what I've done. In other words, Learn to totally and utterly, when I'm sitting down on a seat, I'm putting all my weight on a chair. And I'm depending that that chair will kind of hold me, like. Part of knowing the power of God is learning to trust totally on Jesus. You'll never know the level of power that God wants for your life unless you come to a place of total dependency. You just rest on him. You just trust him. You just rely on him. Because as long as we're relying on other things, then we're always going to limit the power of God in us. So part of of tarrying and waiting is learning to come to a place, I am totally depending on Jesus. And the more I learn to trust in him and depend on him, the more I'm going to see a release of his power. Can you say amen? I think during that time they were tarrying and waiting and the Bible tells us that's what they were doing. They were also praying. They were seeking God's face. For ten days they sought God, prayed, sought his face. And I think there's another connection here. Often the reason why the church today is often not as powerful as it should be is because often we are, we are prayerless. And because we are prayerless, we are powerless. If you're prayerful, you'll be powerful. If you're prayerless, you'll be powerless. Prayer and power is connected together. The more we learn to, to seek God and to, and to pray, the more power we're going to know. Can you say amen? amen? And during that time of waiting, you know what they were learning as well? 
love this. They were learning. The word wait actually means to, to just rest in his presence. To soak in his presence. I think one secret to the power is to learn how to soak yourself in God's presence. We're so quick to rush out. We never really spend much time saying, God, today, I just want to soak in your presence. Just soak every part of my being in your presence. I like this idea of soaking prayer. Where you, the, the focus of your whole, you just focus the whole of your being on God. You just focus on him. And you just spend time saying, God, today, I just want to, I just want to encounter your presence. Just fill me with your presence. And when you are soaked in his presence, you're going to know something of God's power. Amen. Now, look at this other word here. I kind of like this idea. It's like a dry sponge. And you come into his presence feeling dry. And then God just saturates you with his presence. And that dry sponge becomes soaked and saturated with the presence. So we're told to tarry, and the, word, the, actual, the next word is, he says, that you will be endured. And that word endured actually means to be soaked in a dye. Ever had, ever had ink over your, kind of, over your skin, and you just, you just can't get off? And that's the picture. That you take a cloth, an object, and you soak it in a dye. And you so soak it in that dye that that dye... But that object becomes literally part of the dye. It's saturated. The, the whole of that kind of object is changed because it's been soaked in a dye. And that's the picture. He's saying that you're going to be soaked, you're going to be endured with power. You're going to be so submerged in that power, actually, it's almost going to become part of you. If you follow the word through, it actually means to almost put on a second skin. Isn't that wonderful? That you become submerged, soaked, until there's almost this inseparable element to which you have been submerged into. I love that. That's what we're talking about. That you are submerged completely and fully in the power of God. Endured. And he says, you'll be endured with power. And I said that word power there means dynamo. It denotes strong ability to do something to carry out a task. I want you to turn with Philippians 4 verse 14. Kind of well-known scripture, but it kind of sums up what I'm... I just want you to just take these thoughts and really seek God. Remember years ago, you ever heard this phrase? In fact, it was really during the old Pentecostal days. And they'd use the word tarrying services. Ever heard of that phrase, tarrying services? And the old Pentecostals, actually, that's what they'd do. They would go and have a tarry service. They would go and they would spend days and days and days, or how long it took, before they got the power of God. And they wouldn't leave that place until they got God's power. They would just tarry until they received God's power. Ephesians 4, verse 13. I say Ephesians. I say Philippians 4:13. Sorry. This is kind of well known, but some great truth in this verse. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. One translation puts it this way. I am powerfully equipped to do the extraordinary deeds through Christ who empowers me to do it. Isn't that awesome? In other words, that we've, we've been given ability to fulfill a design, a divine appointment. A divine assignment. We've been equipped to do it. We've been empowered to do it. That we're not limited, I mean, you're glad you're not limited by your ability. We're not limited by our own inadequacies, if you like. We are totally, we have totally unlimited power that God has made available to us to do everything he's called us to do. I think as the Living Bible says, that I'm able to do everything God calls me to do through his power that works within me. So everything God has said in this book that you're able to do, you're able to do, not in your ability, not in your power, but in the strength he gives you to do it. Isn't that awesome? Now look at another, go down to Ephesians 3, verse 20. If we go back to there. So the moment you're submerged in that power, you're giving ability. You become able. That's the best way to do it. You become able. Let me find that. You have a new boldness. Can you remember before you really experienced this power that you suddenly find you've got a new boldness? You find that as, as, as a new power to live your life that you never thought you had before. There's a new, there's a new, there's a, there's a, there's a new something about you. There's something in you has dramatically changed and suddenly the things that you didn't feel you could do before, suddenly there's a new ability to do it what you couldn't do before. Because of this endowment from power that God has poured into you. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Again, it's the second Paul of prayer, Paul's prayer. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. Notice this phrase here. What's that according to? It's according to the power that works in us. So what I'm able to do is dependent on this one thing. It's all dependent on the power that's working in me. So you think about it. What if the wrong power is working in me? What if fear is working in me? that's working in me, then I can't really do what he's called me to because it's not the power that I need to, to have working in me. But he said, if you would allow the, the power of God to work within you, then he's able to do far more abundantly than what you can imagine. In other words, you're not limited by your own natural thinking. You're not limited by your own natural ability. It's according, it's based on what power is working in you. And instead, I want the power of Christ to work in me, the power of the Spirit to work in me. Because that's the case, I'm able to do it exceedingly above all that I imagine or what I think, according to the power that works in me. Suddenly, things that didn't seem possible before suddenly become possible right now. And so Jesus says, Tarry, wait, until you have been clothed with this power from on I want to give you very quickly three things of how you can learn to operate in this power. Here's the first thing. Be connected to the source. In other words, be connected to Jesus. 
the more I'm connected to him, the more of his power that will flow from me. He's the one who died, the one who rose from the dead. All power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So the key is to be connected to the one who has all power. Is that right? You know, it's amazing. Illustrations come just, just a few moments ago, just, to, just this morning actually. We were blocked. We couldn't get through because there's, an, there's another car right there. And now Alan Powell, maybe you know Alan, he's still got his car parked at some point, but he's in a good place to park. And so his car's parked there. But we couldn't move the car, so we had to move the car so that people could get through because someone was kind of blocking it. So I'm, I, I got his car, I think I gave it to Steph actually, because I tried, I thought, things aren't working, why isn't it working? And then I suddenly remembered that what he did was he disconnected the battery before he went. So Steph came and connected the battery enough he was able to move the car. And I was thinking how true it is. That the car's there, the battery's there, but there's no power because it's not connected. How many realise that Jesus is there with all his power, with all his authority, but it's never going to work in us until we are truly connected to him. And there can be things that disconnect us from the power that Jesus makes available to us. Fear actually disconnects us. Unbelief disconnects us. Disobedience, what does it do? It disconnects us. So the goal for me is to live my life so there's no hindrances, there's nothing that's allowing me to be disconnected to Jesus. Because the more I learn to connect to him, the more his power will flow through me because he is the source of all power and all authority. Amen? Second thing is this. Mindset. How you think will actually affect whether God's power will flow in you. Look at Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now think of, we've already looked at some of the things which is the will of God for us. To be an amazing witness. To reveal the character of Christ. You know, to, to do signs and all, all these things, God's, that's God's will for, for us as believers. How do we prove that will? How does that will be, begin to be revealed in our lives? It's by the renewing of your mind. I think if our mind has not been fully renewed, then we'll be unable to manifest the power of God. A, a, only a renewed mind can demonstrate the perfect will of God. Because what's a renewed mind? A renewed mind sees things from God's perspective. A unrenewed mind sees it from, from a natural perspective. So if you face a situation and your mind isn't renewed, you're going to just see from, 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 from a natural way of thinking. And because you're going to see from a natural way of thinking, it's going to block the power of God to work in that situation. That's why the Bible tells us something amazing. It says, don't be carnally minded. And it's actually saying, don't be 
naturally minded. Don't look at your life, don't look at your circumstances, don't look at your problems from a natural perspective. But learn to allow your mind to be so renewed that you begin to see that situation through God's perspective. Because if you see from God's perspective, then he enables you to release God's power to work and move in that situation. You thought of this, and we talked about it on Wednesday really, Jesus thought about things totally different to the way people thought about it. They thought about this. That the feeding of the 5,000, they said, what are we going to do? There's not enough food to go around. What are we going to do? They saw it from a natural perspective. But when Jesus saw just a few loaves and a few fishes, he saw it from a totally different perspective. He saw it from the Father's perspective. And the Father's perspective was this. That is not a problem. That is not insufficient. Because I can do all things to those that believe. So part of renewing in your mind is to learn to think the way Jesus thinks. The way to look at your situation, the way that Jesus looks at your situation. The way to respond to situations the way Jesus does. And the more we learn to that, our mind begins to be changed and transformed. You think about this. If I don't change the way I think, then I don't change the way I act. As a man thinketh, so he is. But the more I learn to think like Jesus, the more I'm going to do what he's called me to do, because I'm thinking the way he thinks. My whole perspective begins to be changed. This word repentance is an interesting word. Now often we get caught up with repentance and it does mean to to turn away from sin and we know it means that. But also the actual word itself means to change the way that you think. It means to do a complete U-turn. And from You've been thinking a certain way but now you're going to change the way you think about that. And that essence is repentance. You learn to change the way that you think. In other words, you go back to God's perspective and turn away from wrong perspective. Someone said this, that most Christians have repented enough to be forgiven but not enough to see the kingdom. Not enough to see the kingdom. He wants us to see things through kingdom eyes. He wants us to see our situations through kingdom life. And the more we change the way we think, the more we're going to learn to operate and move in God's power. I think the battle often is in our heads. Is that right? That's the battle. That's what limits God. It's the way that we think. And if we learn to change the way that we think, then we're going to see a a greater level of God's power. Can you say amen? Because the right power begins to work in us. Here's the fun. Let me close with this. Learn to flow in power and compassion. In other words, that God's power flows through compassion. Compassion is a heartache motivated by someone else's pain that prompts us to take action by doing something for the suffering. In other words, the thing that moved the mission, after the ministry of Jesus, was the Bible says he, he was moved with compassion. It's an incredible sense of compassion in his heart. Someone said this, compassion without power is sympathy. But power without compassion is professionalism. When Jesus felt compassion, it released the anointing and the power for him to take action. 
And I think we need to say, Lord, give us your power. Give us your compassion to evangelize. Give us your compassion to heal the sick. Give us your compassion to deliver the captives. Because the power isn't just for us. It's for others. I may realize that. And the only way that really happens is when power is connected to compassion. I think compassion actually allows God's power to flow through us. I was reading about someone who actually moved in incredible healing power. And he discovered this, that when he allowed compassion to move him, he saw greater levels of healing power. When he, when he almost would allow love, when he, he kind of was drawn and felt the love of God flowing out. Every time he did that, there was greater dimensions and greater manifestations of God's power. I'll close it. My, one of my great, he, I think one of the great guys of, of, of over the last couple of hundred years, really, was a guy called John G. Lake. Can you read his story? Read his story. He saw so many incredible miracles. He, he changed the whole nation, really. Incredible man of God. And, you know, you just see his, 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 his life and the things he lived out. But he tells a story. There's a lady he'd been praying for for days. And he prayed for her. He did everything he knew what to do. But yet she still remained sick. And for two days he prayed. For two days he cried out to God. But this woman remained still in that condition. And he said suddenly there came a moment where he felt this incredible deep compassion rise up for, for this lady. He saw her pain. He saw her suffering. He saw that she was going through. And this incredible level of compassion just rose up within him. And he kind of grabbed the lady and he just hugged her. And he said as he hugged her and tears began to flow down his eyes, the power of God was just released. He didn't even pray a prayer. He just allowed the compassion of Jesus to flow out of him. And as that compassion flowed out of him, that lady was immediately healed right there and then. There's something about the power of compassion. I believe it's linked together. True power has to have true compassion. And I think compassion also desires and requires power to work with it. Because you're so compassionate, you don't want to see people suffer. Is that true? You don't want to see people going through struggles and pains and, and, and being bound up. Something in you doesn't want to leave them that way. So then there becomes a cry in your heart that says, God, we want your power. Because we're compassionate. We love people. We don't want them to be bound. We don't want them to be, to be going through what they're going through. And out of your compassion, there is stirred up a hunger for God's power to be released in your life. Let's just stand, shall we? Let's just come before the Lord. Right now in these moments, we just come before him. What a promise that Jesus gives. He says, you shall receive the promise of the Father. And you shall be endured with power from on high. And that's what we need today. We need an enduring from power from on high. We can never do this in our own power and our own strength. We can never do it in our own ability. As never before, we need endowment with power. It's the only thing that's going to change our island, really. No program, no method will do it. We need the power of God. We need enduring from on high. I said the early disciples did it. 
That's how believers and Christians through the history have, have changed nations. They've done it by the power of God. They're just are vessels. That's all we are, we're vessels. But we have a great treasure within us, amen. We're just vessels. And so what God is looking for is just vessels that are available, really. He's not looking for great ability. He's not looking for great talents. He's just looking for vessels that he can fill with his power to change a nation, to change things around them. That's what he's looking for. That means, the good thing is, that means we're all candidates. Isn't that wonderful? We're all candidates to be endured with power from on high. Just as we worship the Lord this morning, if that's you, say, Lord, today, I, I need power. I need a fresh I need a fresh power. Maybe you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit already. If you haven't, then we'd love to pray for you, maybe to, to receive that if you've never received it before. But maybe you have received it. And you say, Lord, today, I, I just need a, a fresh baptism of power. I just yearn to, to be effective for you and, and be an effective witness for you. Would you cause your power? Endure me with power from on high. And just we worship the Lord if that's in your heart this morning. There's a cry, there's a, a yearning in your heart today. To know a, a fresh endurement from on high, a power from on high. And we just love to pray for you in these moments. So just worship the Lord for a time and, and we'll close. But if that's you this morning, you say, Lord, today, fresh endurement. Power from on high. That's the cry of my heart. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.